Hey, we're concluding our series this week on fake news, discerning truth in a post-Christian culture. I just want to give you a heads up. Next week, we're going to begin a series called Why Worship, Exploring the Priorities of Worship in Our Lives. Um, But again, we're finishing up our series on fake news. Again, in our culture, fake news are false news stories that spread when a story is shared via social media so often that it appears to be true. And then once a story is out there enough, it's hard to tell whether it's fake news or not. Now, our series on fake news, this is not a commentary about contemporary media, but rather for us, fake news is when cultural truth uh, conflicts with God's truth. Our culture is embedded with truth that conflicts with God's truth, biblical truth, and it's been spread to the point that it is, again, embedded in our culture, and it's hard to tell that it really isn't truth. And the Bible, it's countercultural, it's politically incorrect, it is seen as irrelevant, but yet it contains the good news that exposes our cultural fake news. Again, throughout different weeks, we've looked at things like we are entitled versus we are blessed, or uh, the fake news of following your heart versus following Jesus, or a right to rage versus a call to peacemaking, or the power of celebrity versus the power of character, or many paths to the same God versus one path to the true God. This morning, we're going to look at the fake news, expose the fake news of it's all mine, versus the good news that it's all from God. Now, before we read the scripture for this morning, I just want to give you some quick context. Uh, This passage is about King David, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus. And David is the greatest king in the history of Israel. He extended the borders of Israel uh, further than any other time in their history. He also unified the nation like no other king. And so he has just finished expanding and unifying the nation, and he is making preparations uh, for God's temple to be built. And that's the context of where the passage for this morning enters. We've asked uh, Sandy Gerritsen to read it. So Sandy, if you can make your way on up to the podium, I'm gonna ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Sandy, whenever you are ready, please read from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, 
as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Sandy, thank you very much. You may be seated. I just want to begin by contrasting two concepts we'll be following through the rest of the, of the morning. And they're simple concepts, but I just want to outline them anyway. And one is the whole concept of being an owner, ownership. And simply being an owner is to have or possess as property. And so if you own something, it's your property, it's your possession. And in, all, in our culture, we are all owners. We're all about ownership. Um, we have all sorts of laws uh, to protect the ownership of our property. Uh, there, we have patents. There are uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of patents to protect our inventions. There's copyright law to make sure our ideas that we may publish um, are protected as well. It's all about ownership. A concept that is uh, not quite as common and even a word that we don't find a lot, uh, that we don't use much anymore, and it's the whole concept of being a steward. Now, a steward is to be in charge of the property of another. So a steward isn't an owner, but they are yet in charge of something. Now, again, steward is a word that we don't use much anymore, and even in our culture, it's hard to find it. And the closest thing I could come up with uh, of where it's used in our culture, or at least where it used to be, uh, is what did we call flight attendants before we called them flight attendants? Yeah, we called them stewardesses. Or, or, or again, back then there wasn't a whole lot of uh, male flight attendants, but if it was a male flight attendant, it would be a steward. Um, but flight attendants are still a great example of a steward. Um, again, they're not the owners of the plane, but yet they are in charge of what happens in the cabin of the plane. Think about it. You cannot stand up, you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't even go to the bathroom on the plane unless the flight attendant tells you it's okay that you can do that. It is literally a federal offense to not obey the instructions of a flight attendant. So if you're on a plane and you get up and go to the bathroom without their permission, you've just committed a felony, okay? But even though they are in charge and they have all that authority, they are not the owners of the plane. They are simply stewards of the plane. In college, I did uh, some house sitting. It wasn't uncommon for me to do some house sitting. When people would go out of town, and I would stay at their house to, to watch it while they were gone. And when the owners would be gone weeks at a time, you know, and they would tell me things, hey, eat whatever you want, and you can hang out. And if they happen to have a swimming pool, they say, go ahead, use the pool. It's all great. But you do that for weeks at a time, and it begins to feel like your house. It began to feel like my house. Now, I knew it wasn't my house, but even though but the feeling of in being in charge, it began to feel like my house, but I knew the house wasn't mine. And there were things that I couldn't do that reminded me that I wasn't the owner. Again, I couldn't throw parties 
or even something as mundane as sleeping in the master bedroom. Those were things that were just understood that were off limits because even though I was in charge, it wasn't my house. And I think it's important for us because whoever is the owner is ultimately the one in charge. And so we need to discern, are we owners or are we stewards? And again, the good news for this morning is it's all from God. And so in order to remember our role, if it's all from God, we are more stewards than we are owners, there's two things we need to do to remember our role. One is we need to identify who is the owner. Verses 10 to 13 of the passage this morning. David, again, King David, praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Again, David is the one praying all of this. And what's his title again? It's King David. The king realizes that he is not the owner. Everything on earth is the Lord's, he says. Look, if everything on earth is the Lord's, then it's not mine. If everything on earth is the Lord's, all the stuff that I have isn't my stuff. I'm just the one in charge of it. And look, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Everywhere else in our culture, we'll be told, we're the owners, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. But if you think about it, if we were to change our thinking and not view all of our stuff as we are the owners, but rather we are simply stewards, it would completely turn the way we live upside down. Think about it. I'm in charge of my house, but it's not mine. I'm just the steward. I'm in charge of my business, but it's not mine. I'm just the steward. I'm in charge of my family, but it's not mine. I'm just the steward. I'm in charge of my body, but it's not mine. I'm just the steward. Imagine how this changes the way we view everything in life. It would completely transform how we view everything. How different would we live if we always identified God as the owner and we were just in charge of it and we're only in charge of it for a season? It's not ours. Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. Look, every generation must identify who is the owner. And so whether it was our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, each and every generation has to decide who is the owner. 
Am I the owner? Or am I just the steward? There is so much that God has entrusted us with. And so how are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? Now, if you're like me, that's a really humbling question because I don't view life that way. I view life where I am the owner. But it's all from God. And so how are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? God is the owner. We are the stewards. And we must identify who the owner is. We also must invest in what the owner values, which this makes sense. Look, if it's the owner's stuff, then we should invest the owner's stuff in what matters to the owner. Verses 14 to 17 says, and again, this is still David speaking, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for, it belongs to you. All this that we provided for building you a temple for your holy name and comes from your hand. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. David speaks of God's generosity, how the Lord freely gives all things, how everything comes from God, and how they only gave what they had received from him. And David gets to issues of the heart. He mentions the heart. And he identifies himself and his people as foreigners and strangers, which is interesting because God gave them that land as the promised land. But even though God gave them that land as the promised land, David said, we are foreigners and we are strangers. We have no rights to this land. And David also said, we are but a shadow, saying that we have no right even to live. It shows David's heart that, hey, look, this land is not ours. Our lives are not ours. You've just put us in charge of these things. But we are foreigners. We are strangers. We are like a shadow. Now, everything they gave... David said, came from God's hands. But what did they give it for? What did they invest it in? Because whatever it was they were investing it in is something that God valued. And what was it? It was the temple. They built the temple because God valued the temple. But why? Why would God value a temple? Who benefits from the temple? Does God benefit from the temple? Does God need a temple? No, God owns everything. He doesn't need a temple. The temple wasn't for him. The temple was for the community of faith. The temple was for the community of faith, and the community of faith 
is what God valued. You know, the New Testament describes a temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, that God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. See, the temple is all about the community of faith. And I find it kind of harsh that God would say, if someone destroys the community of faith, God will destroy that person. It gives you an idea of how much God values the community of faith. It's one of the few times where God says, if you take out the community of faith, I'm taking you out. Don't mess with the community of faith. It matters to me. And so if the community of faith matters to God, then it would make sense that it would be something that we invest in as stewards to the owner. And so we are called to invest our time, our most precious commodity, into the community of faith. We are called to invest our talent, our most personal commodity, into the community of faith. We are called to invest our treasure, our most palpable commodity, into the community of faith. And look, I'm apprehensive about challenging you to give money. I'm not so apprehensive about challenging you to give your time or to give of your talent, but when it comes to money, again, I'm conscious of the view that churches only care about your money. And I'm aware of the scandals about church leaders and money. But look, we don't give our time or our talent or our treasure because the church needs it. That's not why. We give because the community of faith is valued by God. And if God values it, we invest in it as part of being followers of Jesus. Hey, look, why are we building an addition to our children's wing? So that we can have more impressive facilities? Is that it? No, it's all about the community of faith. And the part of the community of faith we're investing in there is kids and families. Because we believe if we win the kids, we win the culture. We are called by God to impact the Magic Valley for the sake of Christ. And we believe he's going to do that through our community of faith, as well as other communities of faith. But again, we're part of this one. And so we're following the call God's given us. And he wants to use us to impact children of the Magic Valley because they matter to him too. And I can't think of a more tangible act of worship than when we give of our time and our talent and our treasure. You know, I think about when I was house-setting. What are some things that I did practically to remind myself that this wasn't my house? Well, giving of our time and talent and treasure is a great practical discipline to remind ourselves that we are not the owners. We are simply stewards. And how do we mind ourselves of that? Well, we invest in something because God 
values it. And also, when you give, when you give, the community of faith gets your heart. You see, for less and less of us, is it normal for us to give to the community of faith, to give to the church? It's just something that less of us have grown up with, so it's become more and more foreign. And so because of that, the community of faith, the church, gets less and less of our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, and I would add time and talent, but Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why do we give? Because the community of faith needs our hearts. It's one thing. It's one thing when the culture out there, our post-Christian culture, when they don't believe the church matters anymore. That's one thing. It's another thing when followers of Jesus Christ don't believe the church matters anymore. Now the community of faith is in danger. The instrument that God wants to use to change the world, something that he values so greatly that he says, if you destroy it, I'll destroy you. It matters to him. And look, maybe you don't give at all in any way here. Well, just consider giving something because then the community of faith gets at least some of your heart, even if it's just a little bit. That's definitely better than nothing. And maybe there's room for some of you who have given, and again, I want to definitely affirm, there's a lot of you who give a lot of all three. And I just want to say bless you for that. But for those of you who, ah, maybe I could give a little bit more of time, talent, or treasure. Well, when you do that, the community gets a little bit more of your heart. You see, the community of faith, this place, matters to Jesus. So where does this community of faith lie in your heart? Where is it in your heart? How much does it matter in your heart, this place? If we go back and look at the fake news and good news from the entire series, and you look at the, just the list of fake news stuff, entitlement, following your heart, rage, celebrity, many paths, it's all mine. Think about how embedded in all the different ways that stuff just comes through to us in our culture. It's relentless, it's never ending. And the more it just keeps coming after us, the more it just seems to be true. But it's not, those things aren't true. And only the Bible's gonna tell us that. You know, the timing of Reformation Sunday and the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, again, it's really timely that it's at the conclusion of this series because, again, one of the things that mattered in the Reformation was the Word of God. And when we look at the different pieces of good news from this series, whether it's being blessed or following Jesus or being a peacemaker or, or character or one path to the true God or that everything comes from God, only this, 
Scripture. Only the Bible is going to lift up these truths. And so, just like in the time of the Reformation, as followers of Jesus, Scripture has been as vital to our lives as followers of Jesus as it has ever been. And the more we drift from the truth of Scripture, the more we drift from Jesus as the source of that truth, and the more we buy into fake news. And that fake news becomes more and more part of who we are. But the more we lean into the truth of Scripture, the more we lean into Jesus as the source of truth, the more we become like Jesus, and we can fulfill our purpose as being the light of the world. And fake news, when we shine as the light of the world, fake news doesn't stand a chance against the truth that we have found in our Savior, Jesus. Please pray with me. Lord, again, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word, for the truth in the person of Jesus. And Lord, we would ask that, again, our hearts would reflect what you value. All the things that we've been talking about for the last six weeks. That, Lord, that you would mold us into the image of your Son. And as a community of faith, that we would be light unto the world. And Lord, we just thank you for being allowed to be a part of this place and being used by you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.